Today's reading is from Mark chapter 4, which is on page 1005 in the Bibles in front of you. One thousand and five. Mark chapter four. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I'm just going to pray for us. Father God, we thank you that you give us the gift of your word. um, And we thank you that it tells us about who you are, that you are a God worthy of praise and adoration. We thank you for the teachers that we have, and we thank you for Johnny and his preparations for this, uh, sharing this word with us. And we just pray that you would um, just give us hearts to hear that and to just be touched by your word. We pray that you'd be with him as he delivers that, um, and with Eleanor too, as she teaches the children, that we would um, encourage each other throughout the week in what we hear and, and challenge each other and do that with the children as well as the adults, Lord. Amen. So that is the preaching that Jesus gave by the lake. Do you hear what he is saying? What do you think? Imagine you've never heard that story before. You've never heard an explanation of it. What do you make of it? What Heather just read to us is all that the crowds by the lake got. Mark, who's recording the story of Jesus, has kind of taken a step out of recording the busyness of Jesus' life and the things he's doing. And here he is recording a little bit of his teaching. It's quite rare that Mark does this. It's only twice, actually, that he does this. And you kind of think, well, Mark, if you're going to take some time to record some of Jesus' teaching for once, you could do a better job about what you give us. You give us something clearer, something that's kind of a a better summary of of what's going on. But what, what we have here, and we've had the first one, and we've got some others coming, is this series of parables. And parables are these everyday stories that help people to understand spiritual reality. Everyday stories that help people understand spiritual reality. And so it's an invitation into a new way of seeing the world through eyes of faith. So parables, their purpose isn't just to teach or to give information to people, but, but their purpose is also to reveal what is going on in our hearts. You know that, don't you? When people tell a story or, or something, it kind of has this unique way of kind of drawing us in and then also often exposing us. We become part of the story, as someone tells it. And actually, it's not a surprise that Jesus starts teaching in parables as we start to see different responses to him emerging in the gospel. Different heart responses. If you look back, actually, in Mark to chapter 3 and verse 22, we looked at this last week. 
But chapter 3, verse 22 shows us what the teachers of the law said about Jesus. They basically said that he's possessed by Satan and, and he's doing things by Satan's power. And so what does Jesus, how does Jesus respond to that in verse 23? He calls them to him and he begins to speak in parables. You see, Jesus is responding to the, the different responses he's having around him in the way that he teaches. And here Mark is for us emphasizing the difference in the hearts of his hearers. Let's just read on from where Heber left off at chapter 4, verse 10. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. You see, we've seen last week that people are splitting themselves into insiders and outsiders with Jesus. And the outsiders are showing that their hearts are hardened to him and they're turning away from him. And so now they hear his teaching and his parables, but they don't understand. They don't perceive, and so they don't turn and they are not forgiven. And you might think that sounds strange. You might think, well, doesn't God want everyone to be saved? Why isn't God making it clearer and easier? Well, yes, we know that God wants all people to be saved. 1 Timothy 2 assures us of that. And yet the way that God wants to save people is by them coming to faith in Jesus. And by coming uh, by faith in him. It's not by people's religious power or their education or their influence or their money or their great thinking that they can get into being saved in God's kingdom. And so as Jesus teaches in parables, he reveals and even confirms the heart position of people before him, where their hearts are at. And to those who are putting themselves on the outside, who are hardening their hearts to God, who Mark shows us are rejecting Jesus and rejecting the work of the Spirit. While God's word comes to them and it kind of distances them even further from God because they miss the reality that it's showing to them. The, the, the quote is actually taken from a guy called Isaiah, so it's kind of helping us to understand uh, something from back in that day. And, and, and the, Isaiah had, had a hard gig. He was there preaching to God's people, and they rejected his message all of his life. He preached all of his life, and people rejected him. So much so that they sawed him in two. I mean, that's pretty big rejection of your message, isn't it? And, and we read kind of around this in Isaiah that the effect of his message, therefore, to the people and his preaching was that their hearts became calloused, their ears became dull, their eyes were closed by his message. You see, it's God's word that is supposed to bring life and does bring life, but actually it brings a slow experience of death if people refuse to listen. It's not that the parables are impossible to understand. We need to see that. It's that people don't want to understand them. Richard Dawkins is a, a scientist who's around today. Some of you will have, will have heard of him and come across him. Uh, he's a scientist who doesn't think God's real. He thinks God's made up. And actually, he, he, he was kind of, I saw this discussion uh, of, with him uh, the last couple of weeks, discussing whether anything could convince him that God was real. 
whether anything could make him believe in God. And because he says he's a man of evidence and reason, he kind of really needs to say that, yeah, there could be some things that could. But, but it was interesting because he said that even if something seems to show that God is real, then he would find another alternative to, to explain that, that situation or circumstance than God is real. So he was talking about if he came face to face with Jesus. He said if Jesus came down kind of on a chariot, a fire from heaven or something, he said this, I still think actually a more plausible explanation then anything supernatural is the natural we don't yet understand. And so a trick walk by an alien civilization we don't yet know about is actually, as implausible as it is, more plausible than the laws of physics being violated. What he's basically saying is, I w- just wouldn't be able to believe it, because I would just, it'd be more likely there was aliens who are tricking us than God is real. That's how unlikely it is, and I just couldn't bring myself to believe it. I mean, I think he shows to us what happens if you set your direction away from God. Stuff comes to you which could cause you to change direction or ask questions or, or, or seeing Jesus might be something that might cause you to reassess. Actually, it pushes you further away. You've set your direction. Your heart is hard. Listen, there's a warning for us because if we repeatedly hear God's words and refuse to respond, time and time again. Eventually our hearts are so hardened that we find we can't respond to the God who is speaking to us. But to those on the inside, you see, the kingdom of God is offered, the secret of the kingdom of God is offered as a gift. You see that in verse 11. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of the God has been given to you. So for those who come to Jesus in faith, they receive the secret of the kingdom. And that is because the truth that is, if you like, buried away in these parables is actually a person who is bringing God's kingdom, speaking God's words, doing God's works. And so Jesus is the one who makes sense of the parables. And so you come to him and you get what they're saying. And in that you receive the secret of the kingdom of God. It's to those who come to him and ask, Jesus, about these parables, will you help us? Anyone can come and do that. Anyone then could have done that. But it's those who ask who get the fresh spiritual insight and the understanding and who enter into the kingdom. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because the kingdom of God is none other than God's rule and reign over human hearts. And so it's going to be those who come to him in faith, who come to him with soft and open hearts who he reveals his kingdom to. Those who are ready to receive it. You just turn over the page to verse 21. We're just going to read a few verses here where, where this is kind of illustrated by Jesus in another parable. Page 1006. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. It's a string of one-liners, but basically it's Jesus illustrating this point we've just seen. Jesus said he's like a lamp that has come to bring light and to reveal truth, to disclose things and bring them out into the open. 
And he's saying, don't smother this lamp. Don't put it under a bed or under a bowl. This lamp that brings light. But consider carefully. Listen up. Let the, let the truth be shown to you. Let it be revealed. Let it be disclosed. And this is the big point of these parables. It's this. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you tuning in? Are you listening to what Jesus is saying? Ten times here we're told to listen. The secrets of the kingdom of God are about to be revealed to you. Are you tuned in and ready to listen? Well, I hope that's got your attention and you are ready to listen. Because we have in this chapter these three parables of the kingdom of God. And, and, and the, the, these parables are all similar in that they have this imagery of a seed. And if you think about a seed, it looks well unimpressive. It is tiny. There's nothing to it. And so when God's depicting his kingdom like a seed, you kind of think, well, that's kind of not very impressive, is it, God? You're trying to impress us with your kingdom, and you choose a little seed that you can balance on your finger. And it seems like other uh, mighty and powerful kingdoms around us are growing fast and strong. And it seems like the kingdom of God is overshadowed and nothing significant. But as we go through these parables, we'll see this wonderful thing. The story of the kingdom of God is one of surprise. And wait until you see where that kingdom ends up. Here's the first one. And it's that the kingdom seed gets a mixed response. And this is the parable of the sower. We need to uh, go back to verse 13 to see Jesus' explanation of it. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the seed is, word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the words. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times what was sown. Jesus explains this parable, and it's all about how people respond to the good news of the kingdom. He explains the seed in the story is his word, the gospel that goes out, and the farmer is the one who shares that word, who kind of, who goes out and shares it with others. But really, our attention is drawn to the different types of soil that the, that the, that the word is sown in. And he tells us this is different people and the condition of their heart and how they're responding to this word. So, so firstly, we have the, the path. The path, if you like, is where it goes in one ear and out of the other. People who seem completely unmoved and disinterested by the good news. Jesus explains that kind of the word can't root into their hearts because their hearts have become so hard like a beaten path. And Satan comes in and steals away quickly like the birds come and peck and gobble up the seed and take it away as soon as it's hit the ground. Satan's there snatching it away. Those people who are just immovable as God's word comes to them. We've seen that, haven't we? Haven't you seen that? I've seen it. Secondly, you've got 
the soil amongst the rocks. These are those who start out so promising. They seem to be really interested in Jesus. They seem to hang on every word. They want to follow him. They agree with everything that, that, that you say as you kind of have you share with them about Jesus and about what it means to follow him. And at first they seem so committed and you're so encouraged and inspired and, and it just seems to be so amazing. And yet very quickly they flounder. They turn out to be half-hearted people that fall at the first hurdle. The first distraction comes along and they're off. The first struggle or the first difficulty or hardship and they're, they're I'm done with this. When Jesus no longer suits them and he actually just starts to cost them something, they're out of here. Again, I've certainly seen this and I'm sure you guys have as well. Third type of soil is that amongst the thorns. This is those who, are, who hear the words, who are amazed by it, who love it, who come to life by it and start growing and grow as Christians. And things are ticking along nicely and it seems like they're just doing great and everything's going well. And, and this is really encouraging to us as well. But over time, other things grow up in their life and begin to choke them spiritually. I don't know what you think your biggest spiritual threats are. The things that you think are kind of derail you spiritually. Listen, let me remind you, it's not persecution or suffering or pain. It's actually this. It's actually a nice, easy, comfortable life where all goes well for you, where you've got all you want, where you don't seem to have any problems in your relationships, in your career, in your health, in your home life, in your family. Probably the most spiritually dangerous life you could have. And this is the kind of life that we, in our culture and time, have made a virtue, and so many of us pursue at all costs. And actually, it's perhaps the most spiritually devastating kind of life we could have. Because Jesus warns us here of this parable that the worries of life, that wealth, that a desire for things that are other than Him come and choke us spiritually. They are spiritually dangerous to us. And it's why many Christians are ultimately unfruitful. Christians, yes, but very little fruit in their lives. Again, I think we see this all around us. Maybe we see it in us as well. The fourth type of soil is what what we see described as the good soil. And this is quite simply where the word of God is heard and accepted over and over. It's a heart that stays receptive and soft and ready to learn and to grow. It's a heart that is, that is eager to be fed, that is humble. A heart and life that is spiritually armoured up and ready to, to, to suffer and fighting to keep your heart free from idols and the love and desires of other things than God's. And it doesn't look spectacular. It looks ordinary. It looks plain. It looks like being regular in your attendance at church. It looks like being committed in your relationships. It looks like being uh, disciplined in your feeding of God's word in your personal life. And yet over time, this leads to incredible fruitfulness. 30, 60, 100 times what we're saying. It's a harvest that is seen in character, in good works, and in replication of others coming to experience the joy of these things. 
And listen, it doesn't matter whether one seed is 30 times or 100 times more fruitful. Some are going to be 30 and some are going to be 100. That really does not matter. Both are big wins for God's kingdom by his grace. It's what good soil looks like. Again, by God's grace, I think we see some of this and maybe we experience some of it as well. It's a beautiful thing. But listen, the, the big question for us, I, I hope it's obvious as we, as we kind of think through this parable, is which soil are you? Which soil is your heart? How are you responding to the word of God in your life? But also, Jesus explains the meaning of this to his disciples. Do you note that? He explains it to them. And that's because he wants to prepare them for these different types of soils and heart responses. They're going out to be, if you like, farmers in God's kingdom, and he wants them to know what they're going to be facing. I mean, doesn't it amaze you that Jesus, even God himself, as he comes and preaches, he has these responses. There are people who can hardly stay awake to hear him preach, just kind of, I don't know, kind of bored and and nodding off. People who, who sound interested at first, but ultimately could not care less when they finish listening to him. People who say stuff to him like, oh yeah, Jesus, that's really nice for you. I really like your opinion on this matter. But I'm just going to go and get on with my life now. I don't know if you've ever explained the, the amazing news of Jesus to a friend. And you've just, you've been there and you've done it as best as you could. You've done it with the passion and the joy and the clarity that you could. Trying to win their heart to the truth of it. They're just going to shrug their shoulders and just want to kind of go on drinking or, or something else. You know, every Christmas I have this experience after, I mean, in, 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 our, in our society, it's pretty much the best chance in the year we get as a church to share about Jesus with people. So after I've had my best chance in the year to preach the news of Jesus to a bunch of people who aren't trusting him and aren't following him, I'm often exhausted and quite frankly I'm crushed because of just the indifference, the disinterest, the not bothered response that we get so often. People just want to get on with the Christmas parties, just go out and drink more, open the presents, eat the food. They enjoy the carols, but they just couldn't care for Jesus. Listen, we ought not be surprised or discouraged when it is this way. As painful as it is to see this unfold in the people we love, the people that we care for, the people we invest in, we look into their eyes, we know their names, we walk their stories with them. And still their hearts are hard and they turn away. As painful as that is, Jesus told us it would be so. It was like that for Jesus. It's going to be like that for us. So the second big question on this is, will we keep sowing? Will we keep kind of throwing the seed liberally as the farmer does? Maybe some of us have stopped. Maybe we've stopped. The farmer in the parable wasted loads of seed because he was motivated by gaining a great harvest. Will we do the same? Because where there is a harvest, we'll tell you it is well worth it. It's so a much shorter for the next couple of uh, parables. Here's the second one. Seed two. The kingdom seed grows not by human effort, but by God's power. Let's read this one in verse 26. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or get up, the seed sprouts and grows. 
though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. See, Jesus is is showing us here that kingdom growth is unseen, but is happening all the time. Would you believe it, even when you're not busy at it, God is. His work is beyond you and me. What a surprise. Almost as if we're not God, eh? So the person goes and faithfully scatters the seed, and then they let the seed go to work. And they can go home, they can chill, and they can sleep like a happy Calvinist. God says his word will not return to him empty. His word will accomplish the purposes for which he sent it. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. We don't know how. Very often it's unseen and it's unknown to us, but the kingdom grows and it is going forward. At the proper time, we get to enjoy the harvest of the kingdom. The question is, do we have eyes to see the unseen? Do we have eyes of faith to see the kingdom is growing? Here's the Final one, our third seed parable. The kingdom seed starts small but grows mighty. Verse 30. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This parable is kind of the first century Jewish equivalent to our saying, mighty oaks from tiny acorns grow. It's saying the kingdom of God looks small, it looks insignificant in the beginning, like that tiny little seed, that mustard seed, this kind of representation of the smallest seed then. But it grows to be something powerful and something mighty and something impressive. You see, the kingdom of God is not making headlines today, is it? It's not seeming particularly significant. Our little outpost at the gate church doesn't look like it's making a big stir. It feels small and weak. But the promise here is that the kingdom from small beginnings is growing. And it is growing strong. And again, have we got eyes to see it? It's a bit like this tree that has grown up through the rock and and broken it apart from a tiny little seed. God's kingdom grows and grows. It has outlasted the great kingdoms of this world. The Egyptians have been and gone. The Assyrians have been and gone. The Babylonians have been and gone. The Persians have been and gone. The Greeks have been and gone. The Romans have been and gone. The Ottomans have been and gone. The Nazis have been and gone. The communists have been and pretty much gone. And God's kingdom is here and remains. It has outlasted all of those great empires of the world that people who lived in them thought this empire will last forever. I tell you, whatever the kingdoms or the empires, we look around us today and we think these are great and mighty and these will last forever. God's kingdom will outlast them all. There's a few common things in all of these parables. 
There's this idea of, of, of the growth being God's and not the farmer or the planter. There's the fact that the growth seems small and insignificant and haphazard at first, but the fact that the growth is always happening all the, way, all the time by God's work. But my favourite kind of theme that I think ties them together, and this is where I want us to end, is that the growth of the kingdom leads to a great and a beautiful harvest that is to be enjoyed. And it's to be enjoyed by those who are kind of labouring in the kingdom. Because when God has finished his work, this kingdom will fill the whole earth and will be all in all. And today, all over the world, God's kingdom is growing and it is in unseen and unimpressive and haphazard ways. But God is ensuring its growth and the growth will continue and will not be stopped and will not be hindered. And so we want to listen to what these parables say and we want to speak the good news as those who are in that kingdom and we want to see with eyes of faith what God is doing. And we want to wait, patiently waiting, investing all that we have in this day of seemingly insignificant and small things. Because God is growing this kingdom, a kingdom that will outlast and outgrow them all. And in the end, his kingdom is going to produce this harvest, this beautiful and glorious and great and massive harvest beyond that which we could anticipate. And that which we could hope for. And it will be our joy to enjoy and delight in that harvest of God's kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these teachings of Jesus, these parables. We thank you that they help us to understand and see and know what your kingdom is like. Just how it grows. What you are doing in it. Lord, would you please help us to listen to listen to what Jesus says to us, to listen to your word and to respond, Lord, please, would you help us not to be like that third sword in particular, where thorns grow up in our lives and we allow them to grow up and choke your work in us. Help us to have hearts that are receptive to your word, that receive and eagerly feed on it. And so, Lord, would you help us to be those who labour in the kingdom, who respond to the call of the kingdom on our lives. And Lord, would you plant in our hearts an eager expectation and a hope and a confidence that a harvest is coming. When Jesus returns, the harvest will come and will be complete. And it will be to our joy and your glory. Lord, in this day of struggle, in this day of the unseen growth of the kingdom, in this day where many still do, there's all sorts of soil out there and all sorts of responses and things feel weak and small and insignificant. Lord, please would you equip us with a gospel mindset, a kingdom mindset that perseveres, filled with faith and hope, filled with joy and expectancy. 
because your kingdom is coming. We praise you, our King. Amen.